remind you of in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine? Remember he said, I want you to fill up those water pots with water. And however much was in those water pots, that's how much wine they had. Remember the woman, the son of the prophets who needed money? He said, listen, I want you to take all these jars, as many jars as they had to fill up. That's how much oil they got. And I'm here to tell you, in your relationship with the Lord, you will get to experience as much of the grace of God and the glory of God on this side of eternity as you want to. Pastor Daniel today makes an interesting observation. We will experience as much of God and the life he has for us as we want to. God has great things in store for each person, but he isn't going to force it on any of us. He gently draws us to himself, showing us the blessings that await us. But he doesn't make us choose to step onto his path. We need to be the ones to decide follow God, and in doing so, to go all in or play it safe. Now, Here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Leaving a Legacy. Hazael shows up and says, my king, your servant wants to know, is he going to get better? And Elisha says, yep, this sickness isn't going to kill him. But then he says, but he is going to die. Kind of a strange thing. It's kind of a strange thing. Literally, Elisha says to him, you're going to certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me he's really going to die. And then Elisha does something really interesting because it says in verse 11 that he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed and then the man of God wept. So what you have is Elisha delivers this insider information that the sickness that Ben-Hadad isn't going to kill him, but he is going to die. And then Elisha stares at Hazael And he stares at him so long that Hazael gets ashamed and then Elisha starts to weep. And then notice what Elisha says. He's explaining what's going on here. In verse 12, Hazael says, why is my Lord weeping? And Elisha answers, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you'll set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. And Hazael said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do such a gross thing? And then Elijah said to him, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. See, Elisha stared at Hazael, and as he stared at him, he didn't just look at his eyes. It was almost as if Elisha looked into his own soul. And God showed Elisha exactly what was going on. And what's amazing is as Hazael beheld the eyes the fixed countenance of Elisha that he became ashamed. And then Elisha starts weeping. See, Elisha, as God's inside man, God's insider, he was able to see the future of this man, Hazael. And he said, you're going to be a vicious king. You're going to hurt so many people. And he begins to share with Hazael, all the things he sees, but Hazael doesn't believe it. He says, what is your servant, a dog, that I would do such a thing? Who do you think I am? But you know what's amazing is? We're just like Hazael, aren't we? 
See, this book, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, inspired by the Spirit of God and the living, tangible presence of God in the world, the Spirit of God, reveals to us who we are and we have a tendency to say, I'm not like that. That's not who I am. I'm not judgmental, prideful, arrogant. I don't listen. I talk too much. I lie. I cheat. I steal. I'm looking at pornography on the internet. All the things that we do, the Spirit of God checks us and we say, I'm not like that. What do you think I am? A dog. Like, no, he's not knocking your four-legged furry friend. But he's saying, that's not who I am. But Elisha knows exactly who Hazael is because God knows exactly who Hazael is. And God blesses his insiders with uncommon, unknown information that is completely known to the true and living God who sees everything. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. What has the Spirit of God revealed to me that I'm not willing to hear about? And I keep saying, that's not who I am. See, the prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then he answers the question, the Lord of hosts searches the heart. He knows the mind. See, what this means is that for each one of us, we don't quite know the totality of what's in our heart, but the Lord does. And that's why the people who walk the closest with Jesus the longest are the most humble, not the most proud, not the most spiritually arrogant. They're the most humble because the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize the absolute depravity of your own hearts. And at the same time, when you realize how absolutely depraved your heart is, you also realize how absolutely extraordinary the grace of God is. See, he who has been forgiven much loves much. The person who realizes how many mistakes they've made, they're the ones who are just so overwhelmed in adoration of God's goodness and kindness. But we have a tendency, especially in a culture like ours, to not really want to go there. And guess what? Christian religion will keep you from going there. It says, no, no, you're perfected in Christ. No, Jesus is perfect. He shared his perfection with us. Our experience of that perfection is not in full blossom until he comes back and takes us home. So each one of us, there is a separation in our experience of Jesus's perfection in the way that we experience life. And it's real easy. Religion will tell you, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do this, I don't do that, but you do that, and I think you're wrong, and so I'm better than you. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that each one of us needs salvation and Jesus came and he died and he rose again for us. See, amen. Proverbs chapter 25 verse two says it this way. I love this verse. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. See, God is glorified in keeping certain things hidden, and it's the glory of the people of God to seek after it. And Elisha is a great example of this because he's seeking the Lord so that he can have the insider information in order to live life. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are like, man, I want some of that insider information. Like, I kind of want to be like Biff from Back to the Future. I'd love the almanac with all the sports scores in it so that I can... Win all the bets, or you're like, just Lord, just give me the numbers of the mega millions, and I'll be just fine, Lord. 
Now you gotta listen. God does not give you his insider information to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He gives his insider information to further along the purposes and plans of his kingdom. And what for many of us, we want the scoop because we want to be rich and we want to have everything together. And not that making money is wrong. It's not that. It's just we want to use it on our own pleasures. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? That we ask, but we don't receive because we ask amiss that we might spend it on our pleasures. See, but God gives us insider information because he wants his kingdom to be furthered along. And God conceals it, but when we seek after it, God will share with us unbelievable things, amazing things, things we would never would have known. And I believe that there are many of us who need to begin to pray and say, Lord, will you share with me the inside information that I may be a vehicle to further your purposes and plans in the world? Lord, I want to be your insider who's got the scoop. And Elijah has it. And sure enough, you see what happens in verse 14 and 15 here. It says, then he departed from Elisha. This is Hazael. And he came to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and he dipped it in water and spread it over the face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. See, Elisha's prophecy was dead on the money. The sickness that Ben-Hadad, he was going to recover from, but he was going to die because Hazael wanted to do a coup. So he comes back and says, what did Elijah say? He says, says, you're going to be fine. And then the next day, he wet a cloth and he covered his face. He smothered him. He suffocated the guy. And he began to reign in his place. Now, before I leave this thought, you got to ask yourself, how differently would have things been If when Hazael heard this prophecy about his kingship, about how terrible he was going to treat other people, what would have happened if Hazael heard that and went back to Ben-Hadad and said, listen, so Elijah told me that you're going to recover, but you're going to die, and that I'm going to be king, and I'm going to be a brutal, ruthless king. What do you think would have happened? How differently would have all this gone down? See... For many of us, it's about receiving the word with a humble and a teachable spirit and not keeping it at a distance and then living out exactly what it says. See, it didn't have to go this way. See, the Lord showed Elijah that Hazael could have been king. He could have been like King David. David was anointed king and Saul reigned and David wouldn't usurp that authority. He waited and he humbled himself and David eventually ascended to the throne. But many, many times David could have killed Saul and he could have done it rightfully given the way Saul was treating him, but he didn't do it. But Hazael hears it, consumed with his own power grab and he goes and he makes sure that it happens. See, how are you handling God's word in your own heart? Are you receiving it humbly with a teachable spirit letting him shape you? Or are you like Hazel? Well, you're pushing it away and you're saying, I'm not like that. Am I a dog? My heart's not deceitful. And I'm here to tell you, I was that guy. First time I heard the gospel, I'm like, I'm not a sinner. The Bible. What I didn't know about the depravity of my own heart. And I'm telling you, I'm more aware of my sin now 17 years later walking with Jesus than I was when I first started. Because in the light of his perfections, I'm like, man, I got that wrong. I said that wrong. I didn't say anything, praise God, but I thought all the wrong stuff. And that's God's refining process in our lives. But instead of submitting to the word and saying, God, I don't want to be that guy. Hazael 
kept it at an arm's length and lived it out. You can read the rest of 2 Kings in your own time. You're going to find out how evil Hazael was. All the things that Elijah said about him, he did all that stuff. But God's insiders have the scoop. Now, what is what I want you to do? I want you to turn to your right to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to take verses 14 to 21 as we come to the official ending now of the Inside Man series. So just a couple chapters to your right. Look at what it says. 2 Kings chapter 13, picking up in verse 14. It says, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elijah put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, Open the east window. And so he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot, and said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. And so he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck three times, and he stopped. Verse 19, and the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck Five or six times, then you would have destroyed it. You have struck Syria till you destroyed it, but now you have struck Syria only three times. Now, this is really fascinating because we find in verse 14 that Elijah had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Now, I need to say this because we live in a strange world where there's people in the church who say that the reason you're sick is because you don't have enough faith, right? Now, guess what? That's dumb. Okay? Everybody died, even Jesus, but Jesus rose again. So your faith is not going to fix whatever God's going to use to be the last breath that you take. And we need to say that kind of stuff because we live in a world where it's like, man, you know, the reason we're sick is because you don't have enough faith. And it's like, well, no, Elisha was God's inside man used mightily. And guess what? He died. And so did Paul. And so did Peter. And so did Moses. You go down the entire list. Except for Elijah, who was translated, and, and what's his name in Genesis chapter 5? It went right out of my head. Enoch, thank you. I want to say Methuselah, but no, he's the one who was the last guy before the flood. Enoch, right? Everybody else died. So don't think for one second that when you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith, right? Because that's just dumb. When someone tells you, be like, that's dumb. That's what Fusco said. And then, they'll, and then they'll say, well, Fusco's not a good pastor. He doesn't understand the Bible. It's like, well, dude, it says here that Elijah had the sickness he was going to die from. It's God's inside man. Right? But notice this. The new king comes to him, and he's on his deathbed. We find that if you look at the life of Elijah, he's been doing ministry for over 55 years at this point. He's on his deathbed. The king comes, and Elijah starts prophesying. Now, what does this teach us? This teaches us that God's inside people can't stop and they won't stop. You can imagine. See, our culture says work to 65, work to 70, and then just coast, you know? Work on your Marjan game, putts around the green. You know, you keep putzing and putzing and putzing. 35 shots. And I'm not knocking Marjan or playing golf. 
But Elijah's on his deathbed. He's been in the work of the ministry for over 50 years. And the king shows up and he's about ready to die. And he's still doing the work of the kingdom. And listen, this is why I love Pastor Bill and his wife Betty. I mean, those two are a force of nature. It's like Pastor Bill and Betty, they serve in this church for every single week since this place has been here. And they're still serving the Lord. Just yesterday, I was at Second Saturday with Dave and Nancy. They were here the first Sunday that Crossroad opened up. They were putting the chairs out for the very first group of people on the first week of October 1975. And guess what? Dave leading Second Saturday. Him and Nancy are serving there. Why? Because you can't stop, you won't stop. Because the work of the kingdom isn't on the American social security timetable. It's not. And you might say, well, Fusco, you can say that now because you're young. But when you get older, listen, when I get older, just play me back. And if I'm coasting, kick me in the butt, hand me a Bible and say, keep going. (laughs) Amen? Give me a cookie before you kick me in the butt, okay? Just hand me a Bible, hand me a cookie, kick me in the butt, say, keep going. Because I might need a cookie at that point. (laughs) See, Elijah can't stop, but he won't stop. He can be like, listen, I'm sick. You're supposed to be here to pray for me, king. I'm tired. He's like, no, 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 listen, grab your bow and arrow. Take that thing out. Now, the bow and arrow in the Bible was a symbol of strength and victory. And he's like, okay, so the king took the bow and arrow. He's like, now listen, I want you to shoot the arrow out towards the east, which is where the Syrians are coming from. And so the king picks up the bow and arrow. Elijah puts his hands on them. They do it together. And he says, now listen, you're going to defeat the Syrians. You have to battle them at Aphek. He's like, okay, great, good. Okay, we're going to battle them at Aphek. Sounds good. And he said, now listen, what I want you to do? I want you to take the rest of your arrows. I want you to shoot them in the ground. And the king takes out. He only shoots three times. And it says that Elisha gets mad. Why does he get mad? Because, because he only shot three times instead of emptying his quiver of arrows. God was only going to give him three victories. If he would have emptied his entire quiver, the entire Syrians would have been wiped out. See, the work of God's kingdom involves you and I. And it involves us being available to the Lord. See, what is going on here is that God wants to do an amazing work, but the king of Israel is not up for the challenge. He only wants to do a little bit. He only wants to shoot it three times. I mean, what's the point of shooting arrows into the ground? Anybody ever shoot arrows into the ground? I wouldn't recommend it. It doesn't make any sense. Ruins the arrows, right? What good is this? You already told me I was going to have victory at Aphek. I mean, what's the problem? He's like, no, no, no. It's not just one battle. And because he only used a couple arrows instead of emptying out his quiver, God says, you're only going to get a little bit of a victory, not all of it. Doesn't this remind you of in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the water into wine? Remember, he said, I want you to fill up those water pots with water. And however much was in those water pots, that's how much wine they had. Remember the woman, the son of the prophets who needed money? He said, listen, I want you to take all these jars, as many jars as they had to fill up. That's how much oil they got. And I'm here to tell you, in your relationship with the Lord, you will get to experience as much of the grace of God and the glory of God on this side of eternity as you want to. And I think for many of us, we're kind of like the king. We really don't want to empty the clip out. We don't want to be that person who's just like, man, okay, this is what we're doing. Just keep firing away. Like, how about your arrows? I mean, can you imagine what could have happened? Because we're in, but we're kind of not in. And I think there's some of you here today, you're looking at your life in the spirit, and you're saying, you know, I think I'm missing something. You know what I think you're missing? I think you're missing being all the way in. I think you're like the king. You'll do a little bit of it, but you're not going to do all of it. Like, you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing, but you're like, ah, prayer. I mean, who's got time for that? In a world full of 
efficiency and production, prayer seems like a good old-fashioned waste of time. Except when you realize it's a walkie-talkie to get your, your orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We know that service is a priority in the kingdom, but you're like, man, I'll serve when I can. I'll see if I got any spare time. And after unlimited reruns on Netflix, there ain't no time left. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know how many times in my life, just to be really super vulnerable and honest the way that I am, you know how many times I'm like, Lord, I'm going to pray tonight. I need to pray about some things tonight. And then you go on to Netflix or YouTube and the next video, every 10 seconds after the last one stops, the next one starts. You click through, click through, click through. And you wake up with drool all over your pillow at one in the morning. And you didn't pray one second. I've had that experience many times. And we wonder, why? Why we're not seeing God's kingdom being manifest in our midst. I'm not trying to give you a head trip, but you know I'm going to shoot it straight with you, right? This king, if he would have unloaded every single arrow he had into the ground, they would never have had a problem with the Syrians again. But he didn't. And he only experienced a little bit of what God wanted to do. Now, I have two verses left. And these two verses literally will blow your mind. They'll blow your mind. Check this out, right? So we're in 2 Kings chapter 13. Look at verses 20 and 21. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And so it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Think about that. So Elisha dies. The man of God, God's inside man, goes the way of all the world. And he's dead and he's in his tomb, right? And it says that in the spring of that year, the ten northern tribes, the nation of Israel, have this issue now with these bands of raiders who were coming on in from Moab. They were marauders. They would ravish the land. They would take everything they could. They were thugs. They would just hurt everybody. And so imagine there's a funeral procession, right? And then all of a sudden you notice, oh, there's the Moabite raiders. They're going to come. They're going to take everything we have. They're going to hurt our family. We need to get. So they real quickly, they have this guy who's dead. They just throw him in the nearest tomb, which happens to be the tomb of the prophet Elisha. And they throw him in. And right as this guy, this dead guy, touches the dead bones of the prophet Elijah, the guy is resurrected and he stands upright. Remember I told you that Elisha was being used even after he was gone? My friends, what does this teach us? And this is so important, that your legacy matters. Your legacy matters. See, God's inside man, the prophet Elijah, his legacy was a legacy of resurrection even long after he's gone. It's a legacy of God's kingdom coming down, touching down in the midst of a messy world even after. I mean, his dead body was being used for the furtherance of God's kingdom after he's gone. You got to ask yourself, what legacy are you building right now? Jesus is real. What kind of legacy is your life on track to leave? 
In today's message, Pastor Daniel encouraged each of us to contemplate how invested we are in advancing God's kingdom while we still have time. He has big plans for each person, but are we tuned in? Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Pastor Daniel wrapped up the life of God's inside man in today's message. Elisha began his ministry by trusting that God would work through him. And that choice blessed many. We too can choose this today and become his inside men and women. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.